0: Listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist, we are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about twenty minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org.
1: The scripture reading today will be from Luke fourteen verses one and then seven through twenty-four. It is on page eight forty-nine in the Bible. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor, in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when you when your host comes he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or the relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you will be repaid but when you give a banquet invite the poor the crippled the lame and the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will re- for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous one of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of god then jesus said to him someone have someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have been I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out and once into the streets and and lanes of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there still is room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out to the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner.
0: Thanks, Josh. Good morning again, everybody. So um, last week, I perhaps unwisely let my four-year-old daughter watch a Batman movie. They're never too young to start, right? Um, actually, four years old might be a little too young for vigilante justice. Um, if, you, if you know anything about Batman, uh, you know, one of the things that makes him special is he doesn't kill people, even bad guys. He'll beat them up and maim them and break their legs and stuff like that, but he doesn't kill them, so it's, it's supposed to be okay. Um, but after the movie, um, my four-year-old daughter, my, my beautiful, innocent, four-year-old little girl, turns to me and she's like, Daddy, why doesn't Batman just kill the bad guys? And I was, like, I was like, okay, parenting moment. Because, honey, killing people is wrong. Batman's a good guy. Good guys don't kill people. And she was like, well, someday if I'm a superhero, I'm going to kill all the bad guys. <clears throat> so I think I'm raising a sociopath, possibly. Um, but villains beware. My daughter's coming for you in like 15 to 20 years. So <clears throat> That has nothing to do with our sermon today, by the way. I just felt the need to share that. Um, because it's adorable and terrifying. (laughs) So our sermon for today is about Jesus' parable of the great dinner or the great banquet. We've been going through the parables of Jesus from the book of Luke uh, for a few weeks now. This one's one's kind of a classic. This is one of the more famous ones. Um, This parable actually shows up in other places in the Bible. It's also in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Matthew's version is actually the more well-known of the two. Uh, but Luke has a slightly different take on this parable. The setup is unique enough that I really want to zero in on this today and uh, check it out. Now, every once in a while when we look at the Bible together, uh, we come across stories that carry some baggage. Sometimes that baggage is in the text itself, like when we read like a violent story from the Bible, and there are many to choose from. But other times the baggage has to do with how the story has been interpreted and applied by Christians through the years. We're talking about like violent readings, violent applications, destructive ways to read and apply the Bible um, in ages past. And that's the kind of baggage that we have with this parable in particular. And I think it's important to acknowledge and work through some of that if we're going to read this well and apply it today. So let's do that. The setup for this parable looks something like this. Jesus is at this dinner party uh, that's at the house of a very wealthy and powerful Pharisee. That's like a religious leader of the time. And Jesus observes that the people around the table are trying to get the best seats. They're jockeying for position around the table. Um, Dinner parties were a big deal back in the ancient world. This is an honor-shame culture, so like your standing in society was very important. And so when a powerful person holds a dinner... And invites a bunch of their powerful friends, who sits next to who and where you happen to sit as you go down the table is a really important question. So when the guests at this party are jockeying for the best seats, the positions of honor, Jesus gives them some pretty solid advice. He says, when you go to a party, you should take a lesser seat at the table. That way, You won't get embarrassed by the host telling you to get up and give your seat to someone more important than you, and maybe they'll even ask you to move to a better seat, which is good advice. Jesus also tells the host of the party that when he throws these parties, he should be inviting the poor, the lame, and the blind, people at the margins of society, the kind of folks who don't usually get invited to parties like this. And then Jesus tells a parable. Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land. I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going out to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. We all know what that guy was doing. So the slave returned and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once in the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner." A very ominous ending to that parable. So to recap, in the story, this rich guy throws a big party. None of the invited guests can come because they have better things to do, so the host invites the crippled, the lame, the blind, people off the streets, those at the margins, and disinvites the original guests. This is the story that has a bit of baggage to work through, and it has to do with how Christians have read and applied this particular parable through history. The way this parable has usually been explained by a lot of Christians and still is understood by some Christians today looks something like this. The host of the party is God. The party itself is God's kingdom or heaven. The originally invited guests are Jews. And the people at the margins, the blind, the lame, the people off the streets who are invited in later, those are the Christians. Now, if you know nothing about the history, the dark history of Christian anti-Semitism, if you know nothing about like, the persecution of Jews by Christians going back for centuries, if you don't know about like, any of that stuff, then this reading probably wouldn't raise a red flag for you but if you know your history, if you know about the mistreatment of Jews by Christians in medieval Europe, if you know about the way Jewish villages were ransacked right alongside Muslim uh, villages by Christian crusaders during the Crusades, if you know about Christian complicity and even participation in the Holocaust, if you know about rising anti-Semitic attitudes among Christians today, that it doesn't take much to connect the dots and see how you get from here to some very dangerous and destructive implications. Especially if we think about that last line of the parable, right? For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This reading of this parable, um, it's, it touches on something, an idea from the church called replacement theology. That's this idea that's been popular at various points throughout Christian history, um, that Christians have replaced Jews as the people of God. This is the idea that the Jewish people missed out on the Messiah, they've rejected the Messiah, and so God has rejected them. And I'm not sure if the church has ever produced a deadlier, more destructive idea than this one. Just if we look at the sheer toll in terms of numbers. You wanna know how the Holocaust happens in a Christian country like Germany? Replacement theology is a big part of the answer. And I think we need to acknowledge that history whenever we come to a story like this one. Now, I happen to think that this is actually a terrible reading of this story um, for a number of reasons, for one, The fruit of this interpretation has been terribly destructive. There's a lot of different methods that you can use to tell if you're like reading and applying the Bible correctly. And um, if your reading of the Bible causes harm to others, if it drives you to hate, if it contributes to the marginalization, the persecution, or some other mistreatment of some other group, that's a good way to know that you're reading the Bible wrong. Another way we can know that this reading of the parable doesn't really work is that it just doesn't fit the setup of the story. Luke goes to great lengths to set up the story for us. Jesus isn't in a setting where there's some kind of argument going on between Jews and Gentiles. The the, the question of um, are Gentiles included in God's kingdom is not at the forefront leading up to this story. Jesus is at a party with a bunch of rich people jockeying for position, a party where the poor have not been invited. This parable isn't about relations between Jews and Gentiles. It's a parable about economics and equality and justice and who's in and who's out. And this brings us to a third clue that this is a bad interpretation of, the Bible, of, of this story. Luke's audience. Now, Luke's the only Gentile author, the only non-Jewish author we know of in Scripture, Um, and Luke's gospel is believed to have been written to a Gentile audience. There's not as many references to the Old Testament in Luke's gospel. There's not as much insider language that would have only made sense to Jewish folks. This has led to some of the anti-Jewish readings of Luke's gospel. But Luke's gospel is also unique because he does something that no other gospel writer does. He begins his gospel by directly addressing his audience. It's pretty wild. Check this out. This will be on the screen. Uh, If we go to Luke chapter 1 verse 1, here's what we find. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very beginning, To write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. These are Luke's opening words to Theophilus, the guy who hired him to write the book. This is wild. We don't find this in any other books of the Bible. Remember, we're dealing with like the ancient world, ancient culture. Uh, Illiteracy rates are through the roof. Most people aren't reading. Books are not common, and writing a book is incredibly expensive. Most stories back then are going to be passed along orally and only written down once the people who were there to remember it all start passing away. And the only exception was if you had a wealthy patron who could pay you a lot of money to sit down, do a bunch of research, and actually write a book. Theophilus was Luke's patron. It was customary back then when you had a wealthy patron to acknowledge them up front. We know next to nothing about Theophilus, too, by the way, which isn't super helpful. <laughs> but there are some things we can surmise. One, he's Greek, because come on, Theophilus. It's a super Greek name, which means he's a Gentile, most likely. And he also must have been really stinking rich because Theophilus can afford to pay Luke to take all this time and energy to write a book. So Luke's gospel isn't just written to a Gentile audience, it's written to a rich Gentile audience. The kind of audience that would have thrown lavish dinner parties, where who sat next to who and who had the place of honor really mattered you see the connection to this parable and this story. The Gentile Christians reading this book, they weren't the folks at the margins. The blind and the lame who were invited into the party later. These were the wealthy, the elite, the ones who were maybe in danger of being disinvited from the party. See, here's why this is so important. Where we situate ourselves when we read these parables really matters. In some cases, it's it's a matter of life and death. We want to be the hero of the story. We want to be the success story. We read the Good Samaritan, and we want to imagine that we are the Good Samaritan who stops to help the man beaten and left half dead at the side of the road when we might be the priest or the Levite who passed by and did nothing. Nothing. We want to be the prodigal son who comes to their senses after falling away and comes home to receive forgiveness when maybe we're the father being challenged to forgive someone who wronged us. And with this story, we want to be the person off the street, the blind and the lame who's invited to come join the party when maybe we're the distracted ones who ignored the invitation. This isn't a story pitting Christians against Jews. The moral of this story is that there's a party going on and we might be missing it. So as we try to navigate this and find our place in this story, here's some questions I think we should ask ourselves, kind of reflection. What's keeping us from joining the party? If the kingdom of God is here and now, if the kingdom of God is present in our midst, as Jesus tells his disciples again and again in scripture, what's distracting us from participating fully in that kingdom? Maybe it's our own jockeying for power and position. Maybe we're so distracted by the quest to make a name for ourselves, to advance our interests, to defeat our enemies, to struggle to secure a place of honor in the kingdoms of this world that we're missing the invitation to a different kingdom. Maybe we're distracted by our own in-ness, if that's a word. We're so convinced that we're the hero of this story. We're the good guys, we're the privileged, we're the saved, we're the people of God, and it's everyone else who's the problem when really it's our own lack of humility that just might get us disinvited from the party. Jesus tells the host of the party they should invite the poor and the marginalized, those with zero social capital who have no way of returning their hospitality. Maybe that should provoke us to ask who's missing from our lives. Who have we overlooked and forgotten to invite? Who have we positioned beyond the realms of our social concern? Who are we afraid of? Here's an important question. Who's missing from this church? You can look around if you want. When we look around on a given Sunday, who's not here? Who are the people that we see out when we're out and about at the store, at work, things like that, who aren't well represented here in this church? It's so easy to point the finger at people for not going to church. We ask questions like, where are the young people? Of course they're here today, (laughs) Um, But we ask, where are the young people? Where are the college students? Why can't we attract any people of color? when maybe God is asking us the exact same questions. The kingdom of God is here. It's among you. It's within you. God is already present in our midst. God is already at work in this community, whether or not we join the party. But there is a party going on. And the question this story should prompt us to ask Are we missing it? And if so, how do we join that party before it's too late? Let's pray. God, help us to join the party. Deliver us from whatever is distracting us our fears, our insecurities our quest for more. And empower us, Lord, to follow you, to join you in your kingdom work of rebuilding this world. Empower us to read the Bible well and to apply it responsibly. Help us to learn from our mistakes, Lord. Awaken us to the fact that the challenges of Scripture are first and foremost Presented to us. Calling us to repent. And that they're not there to be used as weapons against others. Thank you, God, for inviting us to party in your kingdom. Don't let us miss it. Amen. Thanks for listening.